the most verses on the subject of hope are in, in Psalms. So if you're having any struggle with situations in your life that have caused you grief, uh, mental anguish, brokenheartedness, Psalms is what you need to read at night before you go to bed. Because nighttime is the hardest. That's why the Bible calls it. There's a night hour. There's a midnight hour. And that's both literal and figurative. At night, it's dif more difficult to see things clearly. You'll see them differently. Uh, sorrow comes at night, but joy comes in the morning. So that's a spiritual principle. So Psalms is where you need to be reading uh, a great deal of because David had a complete grasp of hope and defined it constantly. And he wasn't saved, but he was a type of Christ. So David lived in hope, and he speaks much of it. So it will encourage you. Uh, Psalms 38, 42, I'm sorry. Why are you cast down? He's, he, his spirit man is even talking to his soul. Why are you disquieted? Hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him. So hope in God will comfort your soul, your mind, and your emotions. Chapter 42, verse 11, David says again, why are you cast down, O my soul? You Sometimes you need to talk to yourself. You need to, the, your spirit man needs to talk to the soul you and the body you and get it to line up with God. He's questioning himself. He says, I'm going to praise God. It's the health of my countenance. So praise will refresh and renew that hope. And if you ever hit your little circle button on your computer screen to hit refresh, so if you feel hope is a little bit, it feels like it's far from you, which doesn't mean it is, okay, feelings are not truth or fact, but it can feel that way, then if you want to get that love and feeling back or that hope and feeling back, then praise. It hits the refresh button. Again, because that that's allows you to focus on him who hope is in the word. Praise is, is the weapon that quiets the mind. Psalm 71, but I will hope continually, continually and will yet praise thee more and more. So hope is continuous. It continues. In other words, it doesn't, it's not fragmented. It's not there one minute, gone the next. Of course, unless you want it to be. Psalm 78, 7, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Hope is set by not forgetting. So anybody ever uh, poured concrete or seen concrete or something poured, and then, and then it had to spend a certain amount of hours setting up? But until it set, it, it was movable, Right? So once it was set, though, it would be very difficult for you to move it. So hope is set by you constantly taking the comfort from the Scripture, taking the comfort from the Scripture, taking the comfort from the Scripture. That hope is setting up to where it is a solid rock that no matter what storms come to the house, the house is standing. During the storm, the house wasn't running outside, climbing up on the roof and trying to hammer down shingles or batten down the hatches or getting out the caulk and the duct tape to seal the windows. Okay, when the storm is, is raging, the house just stood through it. And when it was finished, the house was still standing because it fortified itself on the rock. That's why I like that song, On the Rock. My feet are on the rock, and it talks about the hope. So your, your hope is going to be set. Uh, Psalms 119.49, remember the word unto thy servant upon which thou hast caused me to hope. His word causes hope in you. It's the only thing that will cause hope. I remember one time that... Um, when we raised, uh, when my mom raised me, she did the best that she knew with the word at the time. And what you want to do is just, just each generation attempt to learn more about the word and, and do your best. But uh, she, her answer to me uh, oftentimes, and for a C personality, was kind of tormenting. When I said why, she said because. Yeah, you're going to drive me bonkers, do that. 
Okay. <laughs> and so, uh, because. Now, I know that means because. So, what's the cause is what I'm going to ask next. And so, I would never get that answer. I'd probably get slapped if I said that. But uh, so, there is a cause for everything. And so, when you're asking the Lord for certain things, his word's going to cause hope. So, our boys, when we would tell them there were certain things they weren't going to do or participate in, we always told them why according to the scripture. So there was this incident, I remember we were living in Tulsa, that uh, they wanted they were wanted to go to this particular concert, and uh, their dad was saying, I'm not crazy about this concert because these gentlemen that are supposed to be Christians in this Christian concert are showing body parts, low and high, and the girls are screaming, and he's like, that... Dad wasn't okay with that. That's not glorifying God. That's glorifying not only themselves. Are they taking the glory? But they're also glorifying their physical bodies, and they're feeding that in these girls, and I don't want you to be a part of that. So uh, the whole youth group and the youth pastor were going, okay? So what? <laughs> and so they go, and the dad, daddy gives them an instruction. You can go, but if they do that, you walk out. Sure enough, they went. This is going on boys had to leave. The youth pastor's like, where are you going? They have explained the situation. Well, they were only, I think, 16 and 17 or 15 and 16 at that point. So I remember we were sitting on the floor in, in their room that they had their games in. And why, dad, was the question. Well, we took them to the scripture because the answer, because, is not going to be good enough for them to stand on. They need to know where, whether they want to live that life when you're not in, in control of them anymore or, and it's founded in the scripture or they choose a different life for themselves. So we took them to the word of God that talked about defrauding your brother and sister with your manner of dress and that conduct. Not to be in judgment of them, but we're not going to stand there and participate it because you're guilty by association, are you not, even in the court of law. And so your silence can be agreement with something. And so when we told them why, uh, they understood that even at a young age. Okay, it was, was not fun for them because obviously they were picked on and ostracized by Christians in the youth group for a godly stand. That was real exciting. They had to go through quite a few years of that when we lived in another state of being constantly picked on for having a standard that was biblical in a youth group that was not living for God, uh, which was very difficult. But we gave them the tools they needed that their hope was in God to make the right decisions should they want to live that way today. So parents, give them the scripture when they would fight amongst themselves. I had them sit down. They wrote Ephesians 4.32. And as they wrote it 50 times, it's a nice long chunky verse. They got to say it out loud so we could enjoy that downstairs while they were upstairs. Um, in other words, the word was their answer. And so the word is your answer. So as you're training up your children with these scriptures, God wants them to know why he said that they might know. And if you don't know where it is, look it up together. It's okay to say, hey, I don't know, but we'll find out together. We'll go to the word together because as they see you studying and growing, they're going to know the proper method for study and growth, not that you have all the answers. Okay, so the next verse is Psalm 119.14, Thou art my hiding place and my shield, I hope in thy word. In other words, hope is found in the word when you are hidden in it. So if you are not hidden in it, it is not hidden in you, then you might feel like hope is missing. Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. Only the righteous has hope, but it has a manifestation. If you have hope, it'll, you'll look glad. Joy has a manifestation. It has a voice, right? Laughter. Sadness has a manifestation. It has a voice. Tears. So hope, if hope is present, it should manifest to you in gladness. Now, some personalities are going to have a little bit more exuberantly visible level of gladness than others. This is me excited. Yeah. And so when pastor's excited, we all know it. But just so you know, this is me, glad and excited. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm consistent. Yeah. Although I do have one or two I moments. He calls them a year, right? So every five years? Okay. Only the righteous have hope and manifest in gladness. So, Lexi, if you can put that poem up. And so the Holy Ghost gave me this poem, and I think we put it on some T-shirts in the uh, Source Center a couple years ago, uh, what he wanted to say to you all. She laughs at the future with nothing to fear. She believes that I am always near. She laughs at the cold for her family is clothed with my word and my spirit for all who come near it. She laughs at the night. She knows my light has made all things right. She laughs at passing time. She knows eternity waits at the end of the line. She laughs at doubt. She knows even mustard seed faith counts. She laughs and lasts for all eternity. She lives in, for, and through me. I gave her the last laugh. She laughs with me. So it's going to manifest in your life, and that's important that one of the things your children will learn is your example in those times that grief and sorrow come to visit your door and your family. And so uh, saying things to them is a little bit different than living it. How many of you have children have noticed that they pay more attention to what you do than what you say? <laughs> so does everybody else. Uh, and so living that life, our, our kids had to watch us at those opportunities uh, decide to have a proper response or an improper response. And when we had an improper response, what we had to learn is to go back to them and say, please forgive me, that was a wrong response. And so it's okay to be humble before your children or your grandchildren and say, uh, how you, what you just saw was wrong. I did that wrong. I said that wrong. I handled that wrong. I'm correcting myself by the word. I'm repenting. And then let them see you fix it because then they'll know how to navigate their life successfully with the Lord and with other humans. So Proverbs 13, 12, this is one of the probably most either misquoted or misunderstood verses on the subject of hope. Uh, most people can quote it when they want something that they're not getting. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But that's actually not at all what this verse is saying. Deferred means draw out, give away, remove or delay, scatter, scatter and postpone for a future time to leave to another's judgment or determination. This was not something that happens to you because of something you're believing God for that you haven't gotten yet. This is something that you choose to do outside of the will of God. Hope if it's deferred, you are the only person that has the power to defer it, and that is not what God wants you to do. In other words, you have to take the hope that is permanently abiding on the inside of you and forcefully cast it away. Then you're going to feel heartsick. So there are things that you're believing God for that you may have been believing God for years. The men of old died believing God for certain things, but that was not supposed to take your hope away. You intentionally have to push it away and crush it, and it takes quite the aggressive effort to do that. That Satan comes to take it, and you cooperate with him on, on shoving it away from you. So we shouldn't be going, oh, yeah, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm just a little heart sick because the, what I've been hoping in has been deferred. No, that's not us because the Bible just told it that, that uh, hope in us would manifest in gladness. So you can't be glad and sad at the same time. Only you have the power to defer hope in your life. God made it omnipresent in the earth because it's him. He also made it present at your natural birth and your new birth covenant came with it. 
you have to determine with the strength of your will to actually defer it. Satan has no authority that you don't permit him. So in Jeremiah, he talks about uh, the first time the prophets mentioned it after the book of Ezra that uh, Jehovah is, is the hope of Israel. God is the hope of Israel. So the Old Testament founding fathers only knew hope as a person, and they weren't even saved. That he actually was all the hope they had. He was the entire sum total of the hope. He was known as the hope of Israel. He's called the hope of Israel. He's called the hope of their fathers and the hope of his prophets and his people. That means he hope is with us always. So there's never a moment where we have to agree to feel like hope is not present. Zechariah 9.12 says, turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Now, we would think if we didn't look that up, that might be negative. But it says when you're a prisoner of hope, that you're actually yoked and bound to hope by a cord. So in other words, it would be very difficult for you to take out your little cutters and chop through that cord of hope because you're actually yoked. Have you ever seen two oxen that are yoked together? So Jesus said, my yoke is easy. In other words, my teaching is easy. So Jesus' picture was he was one of the oxen and you were the other. So you are yoked together across the back of your neck, you and Jesus at all times, moving through life, plowing. That's how he said you're actually yoked to hope. You know how difficult it would be to unyoke yourself from a yoke? A literal yoke. So that's how tightly Jesus bound you to it, made you a prisoner of it. So it wouldn't be easy for hope to be taken from you, for hope to leave you, unless by your own authority and power you dismissed it and broke it off your life. Yeah. Satan doesn't even have the ability to do that. So uh, this is another verse, uh, Romans 4.18, that I think is probably highly uh, misquoted or mistaught. Uh, who against, this is speaking of Abraham as the who here, hope, believed in hope. Now, I've heard people lightly touch on that. I've never heard a sermon, but I say, yeah, there was no hope. So even against hope, when Abraham had no hope, he tried to believe in hope. That, that didn't even make sense. Did that make your mind go tilt when you heard that statement? You're like, mm, okay, so we just like let that go over our head and think, okay, that's deep theology. It's not. It's, it's false doctrine. Uh, so if it's that deep, it's never theology. So uh, what that verse means is this verse was Paul was discussing Abraham in the past tense in Genesis, what chapter was it, uh, 15 verses 1 through 5. When God comes to Abraham in a vision, which is, is probably, he's probably not dreaming, I'm going to guess that this is a, uh, an open vision because he's having a conversation in the vision with God and he's, he's somewhere physically in his body. So if you look to Genesis 15 verse 1 through 5, God comes to Abraham and if you've had my blood covenant class, you know what happens after the conversation is the smoking oven and the flaming torch where he literally cuts the covenant with Abraham. But prior to that, he sees if he can get Abraham to believe him. So he comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. So Abraham's having a conversation in this vision. How's that going to happen, God? Because I don't even have an heir or son. You know, is it so-and-so? And so God says, come with me, Abraham. And he takes him to a place on the hill. Come here, pastor, for a second. And he says, uh, look, Abraham, tell me if you can count the stars. And Abraham, no, I can't count the stars. And so God says to him, I'm going to make you a father of many nations and your seed or your, your, uh, the people in your family, your inheritance, you won't even be able to number them. Okay, so this is, this is uh, now when men talk together about something, men are shoulder to shoulder, are they not? Okay, women are usually face-to-face. So if someone's going, hey, come over here and, and look out there and count the stars, does this look like how their body position would be? 
So Abraham looks up, he's counting the stars, and he's like, I can't count them. And God says to him, that's how many I'm getting. And Abraham says, I believe you, sir. It says, against hope. The word against in the Hebrew means besides. Who Abraham, standing besides hope, said, I hope. Yeah. So hope was present, literally, tangibly, in the flesh to Abraham. And he said, I believe you. He counted that to him as righteousness. Yeah, a leaning. So he was physically against his body. Right. Not pushing away. Thank you, Pastor, just in case you weren't clear on my word picture. Yeah, but we've, how many people have heard it is, and oh, it was pushed away or it wasn't there at all. No, against hope. I'm leaning against hope. I had hope. Yeah, but where's hope? Right on the inside of you. Lean on it. Amen? Okay, let's go on. We're almost finished. Are you okay? Okay, so Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope. This is Paul, patient in tribulation, continuing in instant prayer. So hope brings rejoicing, and we rejoice in hope in the middle of trials, tribulations, and prayer. So it was Paul in prison with his feet in stocks, with his arms stretched out in stocks, and his back flayed open with a cat of nine tails and bleeding. And he said, I will rejoice always, and again, I say rejoice. That statement was made at that moment of Paul's life. So have we ever been in a situation that was that difficult? Probably not quite that hard, but that's, that's what Paul said, that in other words, hope is going to bring rejoicing. He, did, he knew that no matter what his current circumstance was, God was going to change that. Romans 15, 13, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. So hope is to abound. That means it's to ever be increasing in your life, not decreasing. 1 Corinthians 9, 10, or say it he together for our sakes. It is written that he would plow in hope and that he that threshed in hope should be partaker of his hope. So how many of you have uh, plowed a field? You feel like you've planted some seed in faith and you're watering it with your mouth. The Bible just told you that hope is the plow. In other words, hope did not leave you. So hope plowed with you. Hope is watering the seed with you. Hope's going to thresh the harvest. Hope's going to enjoy the harvest. So it doesn't matter how long the seed's been in the ground. Hope is present. Hope is your partner. It's been there all along. You wouldn't even be able to plow that field without hope. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The word abide means it remains permanently. So where's hope? Permanently abiding and residing in you and all around you, both in the present, in the past, and in eternity to come. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Again, in this life only, we have hope in Christ. That word Christ means anointing. So the Bible's telling you, you can have hope in the anointing, the painted on, smeared on ability of God. Are you anointed? The Bible says you are. The anointing is on the inside of you, so you can place hope in the anointing, that the power of God can regenerate whatever's going on in your life, your heart, your mind, and your body, and others through you. Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you would know the hope of your calling. Colossians 1.23, let me just say about the hope of your calling, mamas, grandmamas, if you're raising kids, I remember Pastor Josh was very good at baseball, even though our boys were homeschooled a little bit, they were always very participatory in sports or band or dance and things like that, and he was very good at baseball, and we had him in baseball for probably about four years, and I think he was in 10th grade, 
he got injured, and at that time, you had to kind of choose. I don't know if they still have it today. They had a regular ball, and then they had open ball. Open ball meant it was a year-round thing, and it was about five days a week, and it was almost really on the pro level for kids. And they wanted him to, to go open ball, which means that's your whole life, his whole life and mama's whole life. Well, mama already had a life. And so um, we prayed about it, and he had an injury he was recovering from, which set him back a little bit, and God said this, are you raising a ball player? See, from before his birth, before your children's birth, your grandchildren, the Lord will tell you if you ask him their natural bent and gifting that Proverbs told you to raise them after. Now, he told us, we didn't tell them, he told us what they were to be raised for. Whether they agreed to it or not is another issue. But he said, you're raising ministers. Now, the Lord will tell you whatever you're raising. And so he said, that's not the way you should. Now, he could have gone that way, and the choice was his. But he, he knew in his heart, even at 16, that he was to set that aside and, and not pursue that professionally. So God wants you to know the hope of what he's called you to. And it's very important, moms, that you focus on that with your children from a young age. If you continue and ground it in the faith and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel— in other words, you have to choose not to move away from the hope of the gospel. Um, but do you think that in this today's society, as wrath is being poured out on the earth and darkness is coming, if you keep moving away from the light and you become one of the Christians that attends church once or twice a month, do you think you're going to move away from hope? Yeah, you're, not only you are not going to hang on to hope for you, but everybody around you. It's not going to have a hope. And sometimes I know women, you know this best, even better than men, but we do things, uh, we have the ability to sacrifice for our families. I'm not saying men, you don't make sacrifices, but it's just an inert nature uh, in us that we will set things aside. You give up your body, you give up your life, your time, and everything for your kids, and you have that ability. So uh, there are some times that you have to stand I know I've actually told my sons this, especially Pastor Josh, uh, that said, I towed the line in my life because of you. There were many times that I did not feel like being a Christian or much less living it, and I wanted to go dance on the bar on a Friday night uh, when he was young, and there were times we weren't living from the Lord. But every time I would start moving those wrong directions and seasons, I remember waking up, some of you know my testimony, uh, not waking up, coming to myself, uh, 5 a.m. in a parking lot outside of the club in a conversation when I left from 2 to 5 with somebody on the phone, and I just put the phone down and I made a decision to come back to the Lord for my children's sake. I thought, you know, I can do whatever they want when they're grown, but I owe it to them to not tear up their lives and to make sure that I provide a place for them. So if that is nothing else alone, we have the ability to do that when we're not even walking with the Lord, moms and grandmas. You make sacrifices, and you're going to have to stand. So maybe everybody else is moving away from God, but not you, okay? First, Second Thessalonians 2.16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the God of our Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. So again, God, uh, hope does not come by your might or power. Hebrews 6.18, That by two immutable things, which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. In other words, hope is going to have to be seized, held onto, and laid hold of because everything and everyone is going to try to take it from you right now. Hebrews 6.19, 
the hope we have as an anchor of the soul. So it's going to be your anchor. You're going to need to hang on to. It's going to anchor your boat. If hope is floating your boat, it's also anchoring it. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to quiet your mind and quiet your emotions. And as women, that's very important. That we, we might feel emotions, but we don't want to make decisions by them. 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you with meekness and in fear. So meekness means great strength under control. So hope is in you by meekness and reverence of God. So that's great strength in you under the control of hope. And it's maintained in you by reverencing and respecting God. So we don't want holes in our hope for them leaking out. 1 John 3, 3 says this, every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even he is pure. So hope is maintained not just by reverence, but by purity. So women, you can live holy in an unholy world and you can teach your kids that standard because that's how they're going to maintain hope. So Romans 15, 4, remember comfort comes through the scriptures. So hope is now, it's omnipresent and it doesn't leave you. So we do not ever have to feel hopeless So these things written previously to you in the word announce, prescribe, and set forth the answers for your instruction, information, and learning that you through patience, cheerful endurance with consistency would receive comfort and encouragement from the scriptures to give you possession of hope. Amen? All right. Happy Mother's Day.